0: Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Ben murgey This is my podcast. Not that kind of rabbi. Uh, for the sake of clarity, I'm not a rabbi, and if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. That's the whole point of why I'm telling you that I'm not a rabbi. But I, I would be a rabbi if I was, and if I was, I wouldn't be that rabbi. I'd be this rabbi, which we're still forming because I'm not sure how that's going to play itself out. But this podcast is my attempt to actually answer that question. If not for you, then at least for me. It's a small thing I can do. And in the process, I'll end up talking to some fabulous people. And uh, we'll have really wonderful conversations. Uh, somebody I've always uh, enjoyed speaking with and been friends with for a long time is a broadcaster that you all know. Uh, most of you would know her the way you would have known me from the CBC. But you probably would have known her if you're of a vintage from much music. And all of that sort of thing. And now you know her from Pondercast. And Pondercast is her podcast. And I am a subscriber to Pondercast.
1: I saw that happen.
0: You know, I. Thank I, you, sir. Okay, but you know what I realized? I realized I thought I was. I literally thought I was. And then I was looking through some stuff about you today to remind myself of anything. And I thought. I'm not a member, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I think I should probably do that now. Yeah, I but get a you T-shirt. Know,
1: energy, the energy you put out into the universe about that was helpful as well.
0: <laughs> it's a lovely thing, uh, Lori. How are you?
1: I'm great, Ralph. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we'll be talking about all kinds of things, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I, I don't know where you sit on the spectrum was the idea that, I hear this a lot from people. Now, as someone who belongs to an organized religion and sees value in organized religion, uh, unlike most of my friends, um, I get a lot of people telling me they're, and and when I do spiritual direction, I get this too, where someone goes, look, forget the God thing. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious.
2: Welcome. We're gathered here today because we are spiritual spiritual, but not like religious, you know? I don't believe in organized religion, except for Eastern religion, which I am interested in. It's, it's just like, like e. deeper. We are here today because we reject the bullshit from one book so we can cherry pick and choose the bullshit we like better from a whole bunch of different books. Do we believe in a God with a capital G? Maybe, maybe not. We haven't decided yet. But tell me that when you look at a sun satin over a hill, you don't feel a connection to something greater. I believe in an energy ooh, that connects us, binds us together, and it's vibrating and stuff. You know what I mean?
0: I get it. I get it.
2: Now, everyone, open your Twitter feeds to at Deepak Chopra. Our innermost awareness is a portal to divinity. That is so vague but I know exactly what he means. Jacob. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. I would like to read a passage from the moleskin. I write ideas in when I'm stoned. What if God isn't a he? What if he is a she or a deer? Hear me out. I was at a music fest, I was outside taking a piss and this deer walks up and we make intimate eye contact and he just started pissing. He was pissing as soon as I was pissing. It was one of the most spiritual things that I've ever experienced. And I like this in remembrance of the first time that I did mushrooms. Yeah, dude. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for sharing with us everything you remember from your liberal arts degree. Take it away, Melissa! I don't believe in hell and heaven, but I'm on the fence about reincarnation. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for joining me today. It is so nice to talk to intelligent individuals who can rationally see that science hasn't figured it all out. Yeah. let me get you. Now, if you'll all open your meditation apps on your phone and set it to 15 minutes. But first, let's all give each other a hug and let the physics of love clean your chakras. Oh, those are some good hugs. Oh, what a nice hug over here. You two hug back there. Come here. Oh, yeah. Now that's a good fucking hug.
0: Where do you sit on the spectrum of, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious?
1: I guess I don't sit. I guess this is a moving target. Um, If you had asked me when I was 11 years old and resisting my mother coming to wake me up to go to church on Sunday morning, I would have told you I am not on any, I'm not anywhere on this. Just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go anymore. Um, But as I grow older, uh, I find that my um, my resistance to organized religion has become very blurry. And I understand that uh, a lot of us are looking looking for the same answers to the same questions, but we're just starting at different places.
0: So let's go back to the 11-year-old. What made the 11-year-old give up on it?
1: I wanted to sleep in on Sunday, <laughs> and I didn't like the having to get dressed up on the Sunday morning. And I was, I was bored. I was bored. I was bored. Right. I was bored. Right. Um, that didn't what speak gave to me, you. No, um, there. My parents were mildly involved in the community that was the church, uh, the United Church. Mildly involved. My mother. Um, was a counselor, Canadian girls, CGIT, Christian girls in training, I guess it's called. It's a frightening title. Yeah.
0: In training for what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the patriarchy. That's what we're here. And and my dad was a member of the AOTS, which is a men's Christian group. Mm -hmm. Um, But there really wasn't any other kind of community involvement, and I never had a decent Sunday school teacher that I would say um in, encouraged my imagination or anything. And
0: your sister? She didn't same
1: thing. Same she was just thing.
0: Just like can yeah. I just sleep in? Yeah. This doesn't speak to me. Doesn't speak what did you me. think God was?
1: I thought God was a very forgiving, big, huge idea. Um And I was always confused about the story, about the sun thing. Uh, All of that didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, But I thought God was a big, really wonderful presence who could get pissed off big time and do some awful things.
0: If you didn't behave in a certain way or just generally? I
1: didn't think generally, you know, like he would just smite a whole land. Uh, well, that is in the scriptures. Yes. Yeah. So I thought of him as like, whoa, dude. Like you you you're not going to pay any attention to me. I'm just going to sneak out the back door here, but um, K- carry on. Yeah, don't mind me. Yeah. I'm just sleeping away. in. I'm just sleeping, I'm just in. sleeping in. That's right. <laughs> but uh as I've grown older and I I find that there there is a need for a for something bigger. And that started my spiritual quest
0: so for some people when they talk to people and someone says well as i grow older i remember when i was a young man uh, i would think to myself is this just an insurance policy i'm afraid of dying so maybe i'll construct this afterlife and this meaning and purpose because otherwise it's the peggy lee song is that all there is Mm -hmm. you know is is that what we're doing so i for did you ever go through that part where you were just like, you know, maybe I just really don't want to think that we just run around like chickens and then it's over?
1: I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay running around with chickens and then it's over. I've I've, I've sort of been through that in my in my own head mm. that this is all there is. I'm beyond that now. I'm on to something new. But I watch my father is 94 years old, and. We have had who over the last, I'd say, 15 years, 20 years, ever since I started meditating and I started on my own spiritual um, journey, we've had conversations, and he's always been a Christian, but he had questions, and he was in a bit of a rebellious uh, mood about 15 years ago. And there were things about religion he didn't like. There were things about the way that his church, Baptist church, worked. Um, He turned Baptist when he went back to Nova Scotia that he didn't like. And so we would have conversations about these things. And that was fantastic to have a conversation with someone who thought they had it all sewn up in their faith. And then they went through a period of they weren't sure and we spoke, and I, someone who wasn't coming at it from an organized religion at all, I just love the questions. I just...
0: What was he asking you?
1: Well, it was like, I he started to understand that Jesus Christ and God and the presence of that is not something that is out there in the world, but he carries it inside him on the inside. And he um, was understanding that jesus christ is in him hmm. and that he he is it you know right and that and that faith was something that was inside him and so he had to shift his thinking big time from it all being out there laid down in the bible and these are the answers and this is it and then if that presence if that faith if that spirit is is in me latent or otherwise how am I me- How am I going to explore that? How do I get to know it better? And from that whole point of view that it's all in me. So we had great conversations about that. But now that he's 94, he's not so interested in the questions anymore. He's very close to death. And he is now falling back on his old, I think, experience of faith more. Um to say, I, I'm, I'm tired of the questions. I just want to rest on what I've always been taught and what the things that I know are true at this point.
0: So there's a bunch of stuff in there that I really resonate with. One of them is when you turn the religious experience from the objective to the subjective, so that God is a noun for most people. It's a thing, that thing that would smite you. Uh, But God is a verb, becomes an action of life, a flow of life, a way of of moving through your life. And when I think of some of the things you're talking about, I, I realize that the internalization of that narrative even, even the scriptures narrative, right? So that Pharaoh played by Yul Brynner, uh, is actually... <laughs>
1: Insert picture in <and> brain here.
0: <laughs> Chuck Heston as Moses. Um, but pharaoh is not a pharaoh. It's your internal tyrant. It's the one that beats you up all the time, that you'd like to just have take a holiday once in a while. So, you know, drown him in vodka. Just something, just stop talking to me about how badly I'm doing. And that's your pharaoh right so there's all that for for people in their journey but also when you when you talk my mother's 94 so when you talk about your father being 94 and not wanting that curiosity the other thing that comes to me is when people talk about you know in life we're just walking each other home
1: i love that phrase
0: right love that phrase because that's what we're doing
1: mm-hmm. right if if
0: we're engaged in the process of actual life as opposed to you know spectators and uh, critics and judges but really, you know, to take your father's arm and say, "Let's just take a walk," and not say, "No, no, it's got you." No, wrong turn. You got to go this way. But to just walk them home, to witness life with them, and maybe he's more in a witnessing of his life at this point than in a. And one more thing, right? Mm, I think yeah. at ninety-four, if I was ninety-four, I wouldn't have one more thing. You know, I, I just want a sandwich.
1: Yeah. And and you'd want it to pass through your bowels. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You
0: just want to be, can I get through the day? My mother is exactly that way. (laughs) You know, there was a point for you, I've always been interested in, and we've never talked about this one, which was your parents and your sister went back to Nova Scotia. Uh
1: huh.
0: And you didn't. No. Why didn't
1: you? Um, I was young. And I did not I, I was sort of I was out on my own. I was out early mm. on my own. I How think I old was really? I was seventeen okay. living on my own, so I had been out of the house for a, a couple of years when my parents decided to move back and there was no way I was going to a small town in Nova Scotia after growing up in Toronto. Right. There was just no way I was going to do that, so I stayed and 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 went through that all of a sudden it was a whole new way to negotiate with your family right because all of a sudden they they left me it was the way i looked at it and (laughs) and it was like i had to i kind of had to fight to stay in the family a little bit to make communication happen and you know, I'd hear that my grandmother was in the hospital for some little thing, and I wouldn't get be told by my parents. And I'd phone them up and say, why didn't you tell me about this? And they said, oh, I didn't want to bother you because, you know, she's going to be fine. And I'm thinking, how do you be stay a part of a family when you're so far away. So it was a bit of a renegotiation. But I was not, no, I was not interested in going to Nova Scotia.
0: You were downtown in Toronto. Yeah. A good time. Oh,
1: yeah. I was like 50 feet from Yonge Street at Charles Street, just south of Bloor. So I was not <laughs> going to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia.
0: Well, I hear you. And things went well. I mean, you know, I, I when I talk to people about life and spirituality, there's that the part of your life, the ego part of your life that runs your life. And it can, if you have a good one, if you have ambition and brains and skill and all of that, you can have a pretty good time without having to think about the bigger questions. When you (laughs) were going through all that stuff of becoming Lori Brown, right? Um, Was there any contemplation or reflection in that? Or were you just in it?
1: I, you know, A, I have no memory of those times, It's really interesting. I have a terrible memory of the things that I've done in Uh. my past. I think I was so in it and just doing what was coming along. I I didn't stop to take stock. I didn't have a perspective of me on the outside looking in at what was going on. Um, Even though
0: you were objectified as now being this Laurie Brown thing as opposed to, oh, I'm actually just a human being and put on my shoes one at a time
1: and all that. I do, you know... Just I, nothing. I didn't really notice it. And uh, I'd go out for dinner with a girlfriend of mine, and she'd say, is there something wrong? Have I got something in my teeth? Is my hair okay? And i go, <laughs> no, you're fine. Why? She says, everyone keeps looking over here at me, and I can't figure out what the fuck is wrong with me. <laughs> and then she went, oh, they're looking at you. Yeah. They're looking at you. And I go, what? They are? I, I was oblivious. I right. think, I, my God, how much of my life have I spent totally oblivious as to what's really going on? That's the question, Ralph.
0: Really? How much? Why? Why have you been total? Is that a, a survival mechanism? What is that?
1: I don't know. Uh, but the fact that I can't remember it is, yeah. part, of, is, is part of it to me. Um, I don't know.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't think of myself as having been oblivious. I would have seen myself as having been unable to see myself in a context. Right. But even there, I I knew that when people were staring at me in a restaurant, you know, all those years ago, I felt very uncomfortable. About it. Well, I was, fundamentally, I'm introverted. But when you're out in front of people, they think that, You know, you go home and put spotlights on a little platform beside your bed and do 20 minutes of stand-up, and then you go to bed.
1: (laughs) I heard that about you. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) it wasn't a
0: big stage, but there's only a couple of lights, but, you know, the family enjoyed it, and that's what was important to me.
1: No, I don't know about that oblivious thing, but I don't remember there being a question I think, you know, you, your life takes a huge change as soon as you have children. Yeah. That that was the big perspective change for me, was suddenly having children, and then what the world do do? changed.
0: See, I, I tend to think that having... I say to people that I see having children is changing the geography of your heart, that you, 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 you move into a different place in your life. But yes. y- you were going on this path, and now you're over here. Yes. So what did... Spiritually in reflection, what did having children do to you?
1: It made me understand responsibility. Um, And it made me actually design the kind of love in my family I wanted to see. It made me have to be conscious of what kind of family I wanted, mm. and how I wanted my house to feel when people walked in the door, and how I wanted to be treated and how I wanted my children to treat me and how I wanted to treat my children.
0: So a moral code.
1: There was a moral code there. Right. And it was a, uh, it was an understanding that all kinds of things that perhaps I really enjoyed and thought were a big part of my life n- were now meaningless. Um, things like going out for dinner, um, going out for drinks, yes, entertaining, entertaining myself, going to see a movie—like right. everything changed. Like. You know, you just walk through the door into another world. Mm-hmm. And when I'd, I have friends who had their first baby, I would say, welcome to the other side. Right. Because that's how fundamental and on a cellular level, and particularly for women, everything changes so on the inside and the outside. Um, it happens overnight and yes. it's shocking and confusing and scary. And Is terrifying. it spiritual? Yeah, you get a glimpse of the big picture, for sure. I think the moment that you look at your child in absolute awe and wonder, you look at your child, and you all of a sudden the world gets very, very big, mm. very big.
0: Awe and wonder, which are basic elements of a religious or a spiritual life. Mm. You, you know, Matthew Fox, the uh, excommunicated um, priest, Catholic priest, who was kicked out of the Catholic Church um, because he accused the church of worshiping Jesus solitary, mm-hmm. as he called it. Yes. And that it had devolved into this worship of Jesus. And that he said, what we've lost is awe and wonder. And you're saying when you get those children, you get awe and wonder. You know, one of the other things that occurred to me when I started having children was almost immediately in my first kid, I thought, and now I'll die. Because one in, one out. Right. It was just automatic. It was like, okay, well, you're you have just put someone uh, here on the planet. Your work is done. Uh, You can die, and they'll carry on. Uh, Which was not for fun evenings for me. Having to think (laughs) of that, I was like, wow. Now I because I'd always been thinking about death, you know, and I just thought it was God's cruelest joke.
1: Well, it's funny because as a mother, I thought sort of the exact opposite thing. So I, the, the, the baby comes into my world and I'd say to myself, now I can't die because this right. baby needs me. And I look at the baby's father and say, "You, you know... You shape up. Look at your diet. Look at this. We yeah. got to be around. We have a responsibility. Yeah. You can't, you can't, we can't live the way that we used to.
0: So that's what my wife is doing to me.
1: Yes, that's what she's doing. I, to I was
0: wondering, is she just hucking me or <laughs> is there a reason? Ten, I have a 10 year old and people always say at my age, oh, well, it keeps you young. And I say, no, no, it just makes me not want to die because I have to really take care of them. I exactly. mean, I really don't want to disappoint him to go, oh yeah, my dad died when I was nine. You know, every year it's like, okay, he's not going to have to say when I was 10, maybe it's when I was 11 or 33, oh my even God. though I'll be old, oh my God. right? So all those mortality pieces fall into place. I want to switch gears. I want to talk about this Laurie Brown, mm-hmm. because I certainly have felt and seen... It started when you were doing the late night show on on CBC. Mm. Uh, I still call it CBC stereo, Radio 2. Yes. Um, And noticing that you were musing, that you were ruminating, that you were thinking about things, that you were, you weren't, you know, you and I started in the business of selling other people's product, Mm. right?
1: arts journalism.
0: Yeah, and, and it was all about promotion, whoever was coming through town and how we could pretend that this was a... Sw- you just happened to drop in and tell me more about your new album, uh, you know. Uh, but here I, I found something different. How, wh- how did that evolve? How did you m- move into the, the space where it's not just about, and here's the next tune?
1: I, I think I was ready for it. I, want, I wanted to go there. I knew that uh, on late night radio, you're talking to people who are probably, for the first time of the day, uh, can get lost in their own thoughts, and that's where their interior selves, uh, reveal themselves. Is usually late at night. Kids are in bed. Dinner's over. You know, um, that's that's our time, and. That is my favorite thing in the world, that space, that um that chance to let your mind go oh where it wants to go and to um and to make up shit. Figure out how you feel. Because I, I think most of us move through our day pushing aside the basic reactions and emotions that we have do a lot of things because we're just, we got to get things done. We're working with lots of other people. We can't take offense at that right now. We've got to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then I come home at night and I think for most of us, then there's this flood of emotional whatever that hits you. And that for me was my time to sort of, what was that anyways? What was it that, that you know, how did I feel about that? And there's good and bad things about that time. Mm. And I wanted to be on radio and I wanted to be in somewhat the same head space as the people listening on the other side. But this is where my mind was going. And it, I wasn't finding any outlets anywhere else where if you wanted to talk about death, if you wanted to talk about um feeling deeply depressed or were or you're worried or you're anxious or you're exuberant about a new idea you had and and you're you're feeling creative at night and what that does to you and um, where i wanted to create a space where every emotion could be experienced and expressed without um making excuses you know Mm. for oh here's a dark thought you know, sorry, but I, I just wanted to do it, and be, because grief has been outlawed in our society, sadness and grief are now non not acceptable emotions, and it's making us sick. And I wanted to have a space where you can have those things as normal because they are normal. It's like when I go see my therapist, how how much do I laugh? in that therapy session and I got some shit to deal with and yet I laugh we find things to laugh about all the time so I I wanted a place where the conversation could be could feel whole
0: Mm. oh that's a lot because uh, you you did one of your podcasts recently was on uh, our denial of death Mm. and when you speak about grief I, I It doesn't sell things. I I remember at the CBC, I said I wanted to do a 10-part documentary series on death. And uh, the powers that be at the time looked at me like I was nuts. We can't sell stuff if you do that. Um, But I guess what you were doing, and part of this was letting that evolve through a public broadcaster, I will say, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The first inklings of any kind of rumination that was outside the norm, I would have gotten from chum fm when we were kids from david marsden and brian master exactly. and all these yeah, guys yeah, talking yeah. about you know pink floyd making an album and the insanity in the corner of the room that ended up being the genius of create you know all of this stuff and then it all died away and then it all became seven twenty three in the afternoon boom yeah. fm you know <laughs> And off we went, right, you know? It was just the end of our lives as we knew it. <laughs> so I feel like what you're saying is, I wanted to reclaim the wholeness of, I, I'm a whole human being, and guess what? I know you are too. That there is that there are other parts of you that are verboten. You know, that that sense of, and the other part of it is the evening is yours. You own, I did Nightlines years yes. ago. it's
1: a great time me to be on radio. Oh,
0: because... It is a very private conversation you're having. You really feel the intimacy of the night and the velvet wraparound of, of what a night can be. And the day you have to share with everybody, right? So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. And it would have allowed you to... How Did you, did you find yourself becoming more expansive as a person at that point? Because your I voice so. is, is public and private, right?
1: Yeah, I went through like a, a massive life shakedown right before i started the radio show hmm. i i quit cbc television i remember not, not because i wanted to but things things uh I w- they were designing a new show and i was going to be the host and it was all great and at the last moment they did a whole bunch of things that were ridiculous and i thought i can't fucking do this <laughs> and i thought i'm just gonna quit but i was on very unhappy at the time and i thought quitting my job would would help but it turned out it was my marriage that was really the problem. And then that fall it fell apart, too. And then I found myself um, I moved out in a small house, uh, sharing custody with two kids, in one in high school, one in middle school, and thinking, what the hell am I going to do now? So, you know, I had everything fell apart. Um, and then I rebuilt myself, I think, in a different way.
0: So those building blocks, Mm. where'd you get them? What'd you do?
1: Um, I reached out to anything that would help. I I had a therapist, which was helpful, but there was a sign on a hydro pole on my new street. This woman was starting a meditation class, and I thought, I'm going. And I thought, I have to have some kind of help, just something to support me on a daily basis and uh, that turned into a practice that's been going now for over 15 years, and it has really supported me. And it has, that really was the beginning of a brand new spiritual life for me, a real one. And I think it, it feels like a cliche to have to say this, but I think it's true. I think that you have to know real trouble to to get um to find the a, a way to look at your own spirituality i think you have to start from that place
0: the bended knee yes right the humility that's required to allow for something greater than you in your life whatever yes. that is yeah right the fall from grace even if it's a fall from grace of your own life. And this is not my beautiful wife, you yes, know, the talking heads, exactly.
1: right? Right? This,
0: <laughs> this is a mirage. Like I, you know, to the outside world, it looks like I've got everything. I remember when you left TV uh, that I actually sang Brown Eyed Girl at your uh, goodbye my party. My
1: karaoke goodbye girl. That's yes, right. that was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, but I was surprised. And, you know, our our desks weren't very far apart, and, and you were like, okay, I'm out of here. And I, I, I really admired the fact that you were saying, okay, I'm out of here, because you didn't have to. Mm. It's when you don't have to do things that they become more interesting. Yeah. And you didn't have to look at that pole that day and see that meditation sign. Tell me about the practice. How has it evolved? What, it, what How did it start, and where is it now?
1: It started as a survival mechanism, you know, uh, just to... Get down on the floor and feel the ground, and and there is a ground there, (laughs) and uh, to reconnect with some kind of ground, and it evolved in a way that I started to feel. uh, I get, I got some space, I got some space around me and my emotions and my issues. I started to see a bigger space around me and it has it, my spirituality is really in the earth in the planet it is in the trees it is in the energy of the of the world around me that is my big expansive space and that is where i connect to and that is how i i feel good and i can feel my little place in that big 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 picture and i need to stay there i need to stay in that situation where i feel i am part of it and i'm and i'm this big a part a very very tiny part so it has evolved i i do silent meditations once a year i go away for a week and it's like a it's like a spring cleaning for me i've never done it,
0: that what 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 do you What happens in that week when you're not talking?
1: Oh, God, you hate yourself, Ralph. You can't shut up. Your brain just keeps going and going and going. And it's, um, the first one is incredibly scary because I didn't know if I could do it. Like, I didn't know if I could just sit with myself and, and meditating for hours and hours a day. What's going to happen? And things fall apart. When you are left with your own thoughts and you're just sitting on a pillow breathing that's the only thing you're asked to do is not talk and breathe that's the only thing you're asked to do and you want to run away screaming it's crazy the what comes up the the emotions that come up they tear you down usually about day 3 day 4 you really bottom out and then and then something happens and you process what that feeling is and you sit with it and then you it's like an onion okay there's that layer there's that anger and what's under the anger okay then there's um shame what's under the shame oh okay there's fear there's fear under that shame and what's under that fear and then there's a nugget you know and it's usually that you are unlovable um Mm -hmm. that you are not worthy of being loved there's usually something like that at the base everyone has their own their own core Um, but you see it and you feel it and your whole body just from having the ability to sit with that awful question that you will do anything not to experience and feel having to sit with that and just feeling it move through your body and what it does, it hurts your back, your stomach is in knots, your, your throat, it hurts, it's all closed up. To Just feel it. All of a sudden, there's a shift. You can feel a shift that happens in your body, everywhere, in the brain, in the air around you, that all of a sudden, something has been acknowledged, that you have acknowledged some core fear that you have and you've sat with it, and you you lived through it. And it changes something in you. It's the best way I can describe it. It's
0: beautifully described. There's a Hebrew prayer, the word Ahava, which is love. And part of that prayer is, I breathe life into the trees, and the trees breathe life into me. Uh, so that speaks to that connection you have with the earth and your microcosmic ability to be interconnected with everything, right? the unity of all, right? Which I think a good meditative practice lets you sort of find those moments of the unity of all. Moments.
1: They are fleeting. They um, are fleeting. Someone
0: says, you know, if you meditate for 20 minutes, like, you know, I, I said, no, no, you think I'm actually in the perfect zone for 20 minutes. I had about 48 seconds interspersed in 20 minutes where it was like, I think I was here. I think I was actually here.
1: I was in the room. Let's
0: get back to monkey brain, shall we? So I wonder what I'm going to do tonight. You know, got to pay that bill. I'm getting tired of the money thing. Oh, sorry. Let's start. Oh, just thinking, thinking, right. Don't judge the thinking. Now I'm judging the thinking. What kind of a schmuck am I? I'm a schmuck. I've always been a schmuck. People know I'm a schmuck still. Is that still a thing for me? Right. So, you know, there's so much of, and that other part, that comes out to me when you're talking, is how much energy we spend in evasive action. You know, oh. stop, drop, and roll out of your own life, right?
1: That's what suffering is. Yeah. That is the suffering.
0: The clinging and the grasping and the, all of those
1: things. And the rigidity against what you think is going to be so awful. Um, that is what causes suffering.
0: So is one of the things that attracts you to the meditative process or spirituality, the non-theistic part, that you don't have to have... The accoutrement, the the God word, the Jesus, the the Mary. You don't have to have any of those things. You can truly be spiritual without being religious. Is that that part of it for you?
1: It is, for me, it is a practice about questions and not about answers. And I am eternally curious. And I have questions. And I want to stay in the question i don't want to um i don't want to be given an answer because i won't believe it um because it's not my experience i don't want to say i've figured out a question either because i know enough now that what i thought i knew in my 20s i didn't what i thought i knew in my 40s about certain things and about life i didn't it changes all the time so i want to be i want to stay engaged with the big questions um, and that's why organized religion doesn't work for me because I'm not. I'm not in the answer game. The questions, the mystery, the awe, and the wonder is where I want to stay, and to me that is, uh, is, infinitely unknowable. But that is my journey. I don't think I can say, okay, I got awe and wonder figured out here. I'm never going to answer these questions, and I don't want to. I want to sit with the question.
0: So for some people, religion is really just a fitness program. The desire is spirituality, and religion is, I can go to the gym and stare at all the machines and go, wow, I'd love to have a six-pack. I'd look good in a six-pack. And, but nothing's going to happen unless I pick up the stuff and go through the, the exercises and the reps and all the rest of it. So right. for a lot of people, that's what I think religion helps them with, is it makes you have to do these things. It's not arbitrary in in a religion. some religions as to whether or not you're going to give charitably. It's something you have to do. It's not arbitrary to go and visit someone who's sick. It's something you have to do. You're obligated to do it. It's not a question. And people like that because it, it gives them the discipline. But it sounds to me that for 20 years, you've had a discipline. Yes. And without that discipline, you can't get there. You're not going to get there because you think it'd be a great idea to have a nice walk, right? Mm-hmm. But it also, I think the one of the beautiful things about all my friends who meditate is you don't need to buy into a whole bunch of stuff. You just need to practice. And the practice itself is the point of the exercise.
1: Yeah, you don't you don't buy in. The the what you're told to do is go look. Go figure it out. And then the the it's a practice, which means you practice. Like you never so get what, it right. What's
0: your practice? How how long do you meditate?
1: Uh, and I'm, how often? I meditate every day. For thirty minutes in the morning, and uh, sometimes in the evening as well for thirty minutes. It's a it's a kind of thing where you can apply liberally. <laughs> if you're having a uh, if you're having a very if I'm having a really stressful day and something went down, I, I got to get my ass on the floor right. and and get some balance. To uh, balance is actually the wrong word, but I have to open myself up. Right, Because I'm, I'm shutting down.
0: So how has the practice changed life for you in terms of things like love?
1: It's opened my heart. It's made me understand. It's made me better at keeping my heart open. It has made me love. It has made me understand that I don't even need to be in the same room as someone, and I can love. I can do it to my my children, live far away, and I can send them faith and support and love right from where I am. And feel great about it. Mm -hmm. And still have that same feeling as if they were in the room and I had my arms around them. What do you
0: hear from people with your podcast, with Pondercast? What 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 kind of feedback do you get for what you're doing? Because I see what you're doing, and I don't mean this as, um, aren't you just? Uh, but there's a courage to what you're doing. You you're, you're not you're not selling me something. You're you're being right. And so, what are you getting back from people? When, you know, when people go, Lori Brown, Pondercast. Click, I think I want to do this. What do you get back?
1: I get uh, life stories from people. I They share with me their their hurt, their tragedy, their sorrow. Um, I get a sense of relief from people that they've found someone and in, in something that shares a kind of view that they have about how the world works. I think that the, a lot of these people have a soft side that either is always on display or never on display. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that intimacy and vulnerability uh, is, is compelling to people. And if they, if I am making myself vulnerable on the radio or on a podcast, saying something, you know, as soon as you do that, you connect so immediately with people to that to the, the stuff that matters. I, I guess that's what it is. It feels like stuff that matters. They're lovely people. Oh, the people that li, that, that listen to podcasts are lovely, lovely people.
0: Well, you know, I keep thinking the extreme representation of all that is wrong. In the world, you know, even uh, in our old employer at the CBC, this gross misrepresentation of the world—of someone got stabbed at uh, Burnham Thorpe and uh, no. Nielsen—and it, it just goes on and on. Where it's there's three million people in that city, and two uh, almost all the time, completely lost young men are perpetrating a violent crime on each other, and we're supposed to live in this as being what this life is. Mm-hmm. And if it's not that, it's the whole world's on fire. Mm -hmm. And yet, I go and walk a little 10-year-old to school and all I see are people kissing their kid on the head as they reluctantly take the kiss and go into the playground and say, all right, see you, Dad. Bye, Mom. Mm -hmm. Right? I see people loving, wanting to love, you know, those people around them. And it doesn't mean we're all good at it, but we don't get that much practice, it's, you know, we get a movie as to, you know, you're supposed to be married and it's supposed to be a great movie every night. You know, you're on your honeymoon for 47 years, you know?
1: So. I'd be tired. Yeah, I'd be very tired. <laughs> and the hotel bill
0: would be unbelievable. unbelievable. At that point, really I'd be in the motel six.
1: <laughs> You'd be saying no room service, yeah, no then, room I'm service. I'm cleaning
0: up on the side.
1: Just, I got to
0: The room, it's costing us a fortune the pool itself i got to <laughs> clean yeah. but uh, you know i i really wonder about how how you you know what podcast does for me and what you you do for me as I, I i know you as we go through this life is really that it's the vulnerability is the only place that we can take refuge it's not behind the barricades it's not you know getting survivalist tinned soup. You know, it's not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna cut it that way. We gotta decide to just take the heart. You know, in 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 uh in Hebrew they call it the klipah, the hard shell around your heart. And then the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, you you knock on your chest as you talk about each of your sins. And, you know, Leonard Cohen, you gotta the crack is where the light gets in. Yeah. He gets that from that whole process of called a Vadui, and he's doing that. You know, because Leonard Cohen's a rabbi. I mean, I asked him once, are you Jewish? You're Buddhist, right? Because he just spent six years at a monastery, and he went, I'm Jewish. What are you talking about, Buddhist? Yeah. <laughs> I said, but you were just in a monastery for six years. And he goes, I-, I will always be what my origins are. I just have to build a fence around it. Protect the sacred, right? And that's the thing, I think, as we get older, that perhaps is the next work, is to be able to, that 30 minutes, that is building a fence around the sacred of your life and not just turning it into the profane and the material and the ambitious. And the, do, you, do you do you know who I am? Yeah. You know. Do you know who I think I am? <laughs> do, you, do you know who I used to be? Do you know who I might be one day again? Oh, go home.
1: the thing that i like about organized religion and it it is similar to meditation as well is that there is repetition Hmm. the idea of being told the same stories over and over again of showing up in the same place once a week and being told what's important is something we humans need and that is the one thing about organized religion that I like. If um, To go somewhere and to be reminded every week, look, this is what's important about your life, your neighbor, your child, your wife, um, this and that, and how you live your life. These are the things that are important to you because we have to be told again and again. And there's nowhere else that it's happening. We have to do that for ourselves. We have to find a way to do that, to be com- reminded constantly. Remember what's important remember what's not important.
0: The the Hebrew Bible every week is basically about how completely flawed we are. I mean, human beings look horrible in the Bible. Horrible. They are given freedom and all they do is complain. Moses goes up the mountain and they figure, you know, it's taking a while. (laughs) Why don't we do a golden calf thing? And you know,
1: if he comes back, he comes back. We're going to lose this audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Intermission. We can't do an intermission. we got to go. we got to go. Yeah. No, so I mean, it's just one screw up after another. You know, Cain and Abel. It's just yeah. one screw up after another. And that fallibility <laughs> allows us to be vulnerable enough to each other to not say this is. So for me, the danger of religion is exceptionalism. Uh my team is better than your team i i'm i'm a mahayana buddhist no well i'm you know no i don't do that Uh, you know i'm a theravadin Uh, we we just breathe you know we're better and it's done everywhere because that's the other part of who we are as people is the desire to belong and that desire to belong means you pick a team do i pick the uh you know when we were kids it was you listen to metal Yes. I don't listen to metal. I listen to prog rock. You listen to prog rock, and we already had picked our teams, and that tendency will always be there.
1: But belonging—that's very interesting because uh, the the sort of tribalism that you're talking about that we we had, and and the what happens in religion is awful. I and it's exceptionalism, and it's awful. But belonging mm. is an essential part right. of of a being. Uh, of human. That's what we all want. We all want to belong.
0: So when you do what you're doing, you're writing your essays and you're connecting to your audience and there's music playing as a landscape, an oral landscape with your composer. When you're doing that, I think that's what you're doing, isn't it? It's acceptance, I think. Well, it's also a a connective tissue that people can attach themselves to, to belong, to be able to come together and say... I come in peace, yes. you know. Yeah. And we're all walking each other home. We're just doing this thing.
1: And how how wide and open do you have to cast your net not to um push people anybody away is I find the interesting question mm-hmm. in the podcast is is where do you sit like um In what spot is the spot that's okay for everyone?
0: Mm, So what have you found out about that?
1: It's it's the intimate vulnerable spot. It's being courageous with what it is that I'm really feeling and thinking. The more courageous and unsure I am about what I'm putting out, the better job I'm doing, (laughs) which is uh, hard. But I think that that's what it is. That's what I find, that people connect there. They connect to vulnerability we all feel it and uh and we've been trying to hide it in ourselves and when someone else does it i think it's encouraging to see vulnerability in someone else and it's and it's enticing
0: and then i worry about you because then i think you're mining the most sacred part of who you are for people and i would hate to see people misuse that
1: i know uh, I say yes until it breaks you. is kind of the way I'm going at this. Is I just keep doing it. And nobody's...
0: Uh, yeah, people are honoring it.
1: People are honoring it. And yeah. at least the ones, if they're not, they're, they're not talk- talking to me about it.
0: The other part is if you've done this long enough where you stand in front of people and go,
1: look at me,
0: that you have to take something with the territory, which is sometimes people go, no, I don't like you. And it's yes. like, that's okay. You know, that's okay, too.
1: Yeah. What a weird, weird thing.
0: It is a weird thing, but it's also, I tend to see it as not, like I used to do this little uh, half, an afternoon workshop thing at the CBC for a friend of ours, Paul McLaughlin. Paul would say, come and do an afternoon with the broadcasters. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, look, you're doing this, and it's, uh, here's the bad news. Uh, It's not healthy to ask people to love you uh, by name, who you've never met. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't come from a really healthy place in most cases. Now, the good news is you have the skill set to actually make them do that. The question becomes, now that I have your attention, what is it I want to say? What do I do with the responsibility yeah. of the gift? Do I just keep, like the stand-ups, when I used to do that years ago, the, there were some guys who, and, and women who, just the fact that they killed that night is enough for them. That was going to, I'll do this act until the cows come home. I, and for other people, it was, no, I, I was trying to talk about this. Mike McDonald would be a guy who'd go, no, I'm trying to talk about this thing. It matters to me. And it, it just, I didn't get it out. It, it didn't come out right. Yeah. And then the other guy would be, you know, Mandel, who'd be in diapers going, okay. Okay. And that was his act, you know, and he killed, right? So, you know, you, you, you pick your lane, right? Mord Saul. Yeah. Yes. Lenny Bruce or like, well, I won't say Robin Williams because Robin Williams actually infused it with content. Mm-hmm. He was a social commentator, but you know, the guys who just wanted to be funny. And I guess with having a voice in the public sphere, you have to decide, do I, is it important that everybody thinks I'm still on or is it important that I do what I do?
1: I think it's important that I'm saying what I'm saying at this point. I remember when I started, I just thought maybe nobody will be here. It doesn't matter. I just wanted to think about these things. I wanted to put it out there. I, I just wanted to do this work and see what happens. Because in some ways, sometimes it starts to feel like a service. And, uh, and that is a very big part of, of spirituality as well.
0: So you're a rabbi. Really? Yeah. Rabbis are teachers. That's all the word means. You're a teacher. And you've cultivated wisdom. You're not just, you know. <laughs> so, you know.
1: <laughs> the diapers are coming, though, I'm
0: sure. <laughs> super killed. She was great. I'd never seen her like that. <laughs> no, but... No, that's what being a rabbi is, is, is sharing that, having the gift to be able to share that, but cultivating it. 20 years of, of, of meditation is cultivating a garden. You know, a regular practice is is building a fence around the sacredness of it and letting it grow, not having everybody trample over it every time they feel like it, right? So, yeah, you're, you're now ordained. Thank you. Rabbi Brown. <laughs> I don't know how many of those we have right you'll do yours a, a kilt of some kind <laughs> natalie mcmaster will come out and fiddle dance or something does she dance when she plays i don't think she
1: uh, i don't think so i think that she has hordes of people behind her dance who dances while she <laughs> i plays. don't know I, this is
0: not for me i, I just saw a fabulous thing on, online of a quebecois fiddler who was doing complete uh, drum rhythm with his feet on the yeah. porch while he was just flying on the fiddle. And I, I just retweeted and said, no, this is Canadian.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, o- the old version. Um, tell everyone how they can get to PonderCast.
1: You can get to PonderCast very easily. Just go to PonderCast.ca and anywhere that you get podcasts, you will be able to find PonderCast. And how
0: do they join?
1: If you want to support us, the only way that we uh, get any income from this, and we is Joshua Van Tassel, the musician I work with, and Ty Johnson, who does all the design work, um, is through Patreon. And you can support us with a small monthly donation through patreon.com slash PonderCast and pick your level. And there's perks and there's merch and we take care of our own.
0: (laughs) You're going to do it for a while.
1: Yeah. It's insanely interesting to me (laughs) because uh, I've set it up that it can go, it basically can be about whatever. So I'm in this, and this is my journey, and it's there every two weeks with a new episode.
0: Well, may you continue, may you spread the loving kindness of what you're doing, and may it be a blessing to everyone that you continue to be the evolving Lori Brown. I really thank you for being here.
1: And I'm so pleased to be here to see the evolving Ralph Ben-Murge, too. (laughs) Thank you, Ralph.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of Not That Kind of Rabbi. I'm Ralph Ben-Murge, and I'm not that kind. Of Rabbi if you want to get in touch with me you can do it in several different ways on Twitter at Ralph Benmurgie on Facebook Ralph Ben Merge, and my gmail Ben at gmail.com and if you're having trouble spelling Ben Merge, instead of me spelling it out as if you're sitting there with a pad and pen uh, I'll just tell you that if you start googling my name eventually Ben Merge will emerge as a name from your many varied guesses as to how to spell it. Uh, Or as my grade three uh, gym teacher, Mrs. Elkin, used to call me, Raphael Benmergui, which was a way of looking at me that I, to this day, still hold dear in my heart. You take care of each other, and we'll see you soon.